Hello, and welcome to another edition of Wiley Connected, the podcast put on by Wiley Ryan Law Firm here in D.C., where we talk tech and policy and emerging developments. Um, I am delighted to have with me in our virtual Studio W, my partner, Peter Hyun, who's done some of these podcasts before. He's a partner in our congressional investigations and white collar practice and has a lengthy background in the federal government as a prosecutor, as well as in the Senate doing a lot of investigative work and also in a state AG's office, which will be relevant to what we're going to talk about today, which my goal is to chat about some of the tech issues that are being addressed right now in some of the state AG's offices. State attorneys general have not been shy amid the current global pandemic to assert their concerns and delve into some of these issues. So we thought we would do a podcast to chat about these tech issues in the state AG's offices, particularly, but not exclusively, in the time of this global pandemic. Um, So, hey, Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first podcast with you, so I'm pretty excited. I'm sitting in my dining room, looking out at a beautiful day and hoping my children don't wander in. How about you during this pandemic? I am bunkered down in a home office with the door locked. So So if we hear banging, we'll know what's going on. (laughs) Yes. Great. So I thought we would, you know, sort of just tee this up by reference to some recent news, right? We're in week three-ish of the national shutdown for the pandemic. And over the past several days, maybe two weeks, I've been noticing some issues popping up related to the technology sector, not just their responses or not really limited to their responses to COVID, but sometimes related to it. Um, For example, we saw several state attorneys general send letters to some of the major online platforms raising concerns about price gouging and sort of hectoring those platforms to do more to address what the state AGs think might be price gouging. We saw very recently some state activity in New York focused on Zoom. I've been doing Zoom happy hours with family and Zoom meetings, and my kids are using Zoom. Um, But the New York AG raised some concerns about security um, on the Zoom platform, which we can get into. And then, you know, there's general privacy and security enforcement looming out there, notwithstanding the global pandemic. A group of associations, for example, had asked uh, the California Attorney General to, in effect, stand down or relax a little bit on potential enforcement actions under the California Consumer Privacy Act for behavior or for activities that might be occurring during this pandemic. For those who've listened to previous podcasts or followed the California situation, right, their new privacy law and its accompanying regulations are are in force, even though they're not yet final uh, in terms of the obligations on the private sector. But nonetheless, the AG's office rejected that request and has made some noise about folks needing to be extra diligent about data security and privacy in this period of great economic and social flux. So from my perspective, Peter, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. You know, I'm seeing some government markers being laid down, some shots across the bow at some of these tech companies. My personal view is that I understand why the state AGs are doing that, but it's a little dismaying 
to see shortly after or maybe at the same time as the New York AG went public with the Zoom issue, we saw Zoom get hit with a class action lawsuit. Shocker. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on this whole tech and AG situation in the current climate, Peter? Well, I think you're right that um, they have sort of laid down markers. And in general, just to zoom out a little bit, the first thing that sort of came to mind, me having worked in a state AG's office where I worked in a bureau that dealt with a lot of the constitutional issues, in particular representing state agencies, the first thing that popped out when this pandemic occurred was how are these state AGs operating themselves? Most are all teleworking now. And in fact, because the state governments have been issuing emergency declarations and state legislators are actively working on emergency legislation, um, the regulatory bodies are all scrambling as to how to implement some of these emergency declarations and whatnot. And the state attorney generals, as the lead sort of legal advisor to the, the governor and to the, the state apparatus in general, they are all dealing with how to draw the legal contours of the state powers. They're obviously following very closely what the federal government is doing also. So there are all of these constitutional legal issues that state AGs are all very heavily involved with. And yet, they are still also exercising their law enforcement authorities here. And uh, in that way, I do think that given the limited resources, particularly among the smaller state, state attorneys general offices, that they will be likely trying to figure out how to prioritize their activity in the ensuing months, both with a now physically distanced workforce but also with their legal charter in, in dealing with the state of emergency declarations all throughout the country. And here, I do think, as you mentioned, it will be the state attorneys general with the largest resources, that being New York, which has over 650 AAGs, and California, which employs over 1,000 attorneys who will be again, putting a stake in the ground to say, no, 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 not only are we going to be advising on all the state of emergency stuff, but we're going to be very hard charging here in protecting consumers, enforcing privacy laws, um, and, and reports on price gouging. I do think that what you mentioned, for example, this letter to platforms, that was a little bit unusual because that is not traditionally a law enforcement activity where it was a letter that basically said, hey, we are the law enforcement agencies in the land, and we urge you to protect against price gouging platforms. You aren't a target or a subject of our investigations, but we're just writing to sort of exhibit our soft power here. And it was probably because each of the hotlines that each of the AG's offices have were getting thousands of consumer complaints. So I think it will be interesting to see as the weeks continue on to see how many resources the state attorney general's offices will be devoting to the, to both the law enforcement issues on, um, on privacy, for example, but also on all of the pandemic related issues having to do with constitutional powers, state powers, state orders, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super interesting to think about it from the sort of manpower perspective that you uh, started off with, you know, because I look at clients and we're helping lots of folks deal with both the pandemic response, you know, 
uh, keeping networks up and running, keeping services flowing, keeping consumers able to get their uh, necessities, it you know it strikes me that the same resource constraints that a government may face are exist in spades with a private company. And you know, I was just—it's interesting to me to think about if you're on the receiving end of one of these letters or admonitions, how much that may distract you from what you're otherwise doing for the business. Not that the state AGs don't have a, a, a role and a right to say, here's what we're concerned about. We're going to be protecting our consumers but or our, our, our citizens. But it just strikes me that sometimes, at least part of my reaction was some of these communications may not be all that helpful when companies are trying to keep the lights on and keep basic services flowing. I think that is correct. And I think probably some of the thinking here from the state AG's perspective, for example, with respect to the letter to e-commerce platforms about looking out for price gouging, was that consumers were likely getting gouged now. And so the state AGs were saying, hey, look out for this. We're not sending this necessarily in an investigative context looking at conduct in the past, but we are saying and sending a warning here to plant a flag to say, hey, look out for this price gouging going forward while this pandemic is ongoing. And in that way, that type of letter sets a marker and helps preserve the record going forward in these types of investigations that down the line state AGs may be looking at when in fact they are looking at past activity during this pandemic. I thought maybe we could talk through a little bit, maybe walk our listeners through what a state AG inquiry or investigation would look like, Peter, from the perspective of you've been in those offices and had to think some of these things through and and spar with companies on the receiving end, but maybe give a little hint about what that looks like, some of the nuts and bolts about being on the receiving end of some of this or even you know, preparing uh, for some of this for certain sectors that we think are maybe more likely to get such follow-up in the future. Um, but can you get, shed a little light on that from your perspective in the state AG's office, and then maybe we can pivot a little bit to some of the congressional issues? So a state attorney general inquiry or an investigation can start from anywhere, much like a federal investigation. Here, in general, over the past decade or so, state attorneys generals have been much more active in consumer protection and also, for example, in New York, in some of its existing authorities under the Martin Act that protect against fraud on the securities markets. And a state AG inquiry could come from a whistleblower within a company or in the criminal context, you might call them a confidential informant. Um, It can come from a journalistic investigative piece that describes a pattern or practice at a certain business with respect to antitrust violations. And so once that happens, there are similar investigative techniques that state AGs use. Those include, for example, subpoenas for document or for testimony. They also include informal demands for information, uh, whether, for example, a company would would want to even proactively go forward, knowing, for example, that there is a big investigative piece out there in the Wall Street Journal or whatnot. These are all considerations that I think for those in-house would have to think about when, for example, there's anything in the news 
that gets some traction about some sort of consumer related issue uh, or some sort of fraud related issue for which a state AG and their analysts and their own investigators might look at something and say, hey, we need to get more, we need to either assert formal process here and cut a subpoena or send a letter for information or get information to then kick off this investigation. So, Peter, one sort of uh, practical question about AG's motives and goals here. When an AG sends a letter that sort of raises concerns, um, are they often going to be mollified by some sort of corrective action? I mean, I saw on Twitter just this morning, there was a lot of chatter about Zoom's um, very public statement about additional actions it's going to take to ramp up security. The AG's letter was responding to, uh, you know, claims of, or problems related to Zoom bombing and uh, some security flaws that folks had thought might be uh, plaguing the platform. And I thought Zoom came out with a very aggressive list of changes that it's making. Do you think that's what AGs really hope to accomplish in in sending those kinds of letters? And do you think companies should be, you know, sort of hunker down and prepare for battle or can you sort of win this by making some accommodations? What's the what's your thinking on those kinds of issues? I hate to give sort of a lawyer's answer, but it depends <laughs> entirely on the facts. But here, I, I, I do agree because you're you're dealing with either do you engage in di- diplomacy or go pound sand and we're going to litigate this to death and we are going to fight tooth and nail. Um, I think in these circumstances, there is some wisdom given the effects, the disruption that the pandemic has had on everyone and on so many businesses to to come forward in good faith and say that, hey, we are implementing all of these controls and we are trying to be as transparent here as possible because wearing an investigator's hat, that they would appreciate that. Now, having said that, there is still the possibility, for example, that if a state attorney general receives some information that there have been changes made and all of a sudden the consumer complaints again light up and they're getting all of this incoming from potential witnesses who might be able to say, no, 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 these are just, um, you know, they're just sugarcoating the problem or whatnot. You know, there is still that type of possibility where even in good faith, when you might try to assuage concerns that are raised by the enforcement body, it might come back to harm you in the future. So it it takes, it, it's a fine balancing. Um, I think given the circumstances here, it, it you know, it, it, I think there was some wisdom in coming forward to say, mm-hmm. hey, we, we want to address this right away because my sense here too, is, as you just mentioned, is this is a product that people are likely not going to stop using because it's, entirely necessary, and it will be for the next few months. I mean, it's interesting to me because at the federal level, when we help companies deal with the government, whether it's an agency investigation or a congressional investigation, there's very frequently the multi-pronged analysis that you just went through. But I've, in many circumstances, particularly on sort of the security side and the privacy side, oftentimes open communication can really help address some of the concerns. Um, And right now, I've been sort of impressed with how the government is, you know, hopping on the phone with folks to talk through issues, soliciting information, and they do seem to understand, at least so far, 
that everyone is trying their best to 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 get things done in a decent way. But it is, you know, you're right. It's a double edged sword. How forthcoming to be, what to disclose, and how helpful to be. Because as I sort of have seen, um, it's often the case that no no good deed goes unpunished. So while you want to be responsive and you should be, in many cases, that's the right tactical thing. There are certainly considerations uh, and potential downsides. As well, and as well as sort of um, efforts you might want to undertake to narrow scope, to secure confidentiality agreements or protections for shared information, et cetera. Yeah, and I think that's right. And I know that right now with the pandemic roaring, there are, you know, there's not time, for example, to have met your local officials and just develop that line of communication to the extent, for example, especially with online tech companies and platforms that are receiving 2703D orders from the government and um, other types of formal process for their investigatory needs. And if if the company has developed some sort of rapport with that investigative body where there's a mutual level of respect and they know your business and you have done a good job in educating them on, on how your business operates and whatnot, I think all of those will help determine um, when you might be the subject of a, an, an investigatory process, then that'll dictate how you want to strategically handle that. So I guess in closing, what would you say companies should be thinking about right now? Not just tech companies, but what should folks be worried about or thinking about doing now in this environment of sometimes aggressive government action and oversight in a very fast moving and challenging business environment? Well, I think there should be communication channels put in place. I think there's, as in any crisis, there should be a, a calm strategy in place also. And also making sure that you are keeping up to speed with all of the various government activity and not just the enforcement agencies. So, for example, I think ultimately when you start to make decisions on how to, whether to keep your business open, for example, and how to deal with employment issues and how to address, um, you know, some of the larger considerations that you're going to be making, make sure that you have some fluency on all of the governmental activity that's going on, whether it's local whether it's with the state. And the reason is because all of those decisions that you will be making should be dictated by some data point. And now because the government is trying to deal with this pandemic, both on the public health side, also as the, you know, in the broader, you know, consumer protection side and all of its other attendant missions, I think knowing what the government is doing will help you develop a uniform response to how you have made decisions during this pandemic. That's that's a great point. I think the question of how you're responding is the thing that is likely to trip someone up in the future. And it's where folks, uh, investigators or enforcement um, officials are going to be looking, which is, did you ask yourself the question, what did you do before you made that decision? Um, even if they disagree with the ultimate decision, it may be enough to say, you know, we thought about this, we considered X, Y, and Z, we looked at the AG's guidance, we looked at the Department of Homeland Security, et cetera, et cetera, but we, we went through the process. We, we didn't just, uh, we weren't flip about it. I think that's absolutely right. 
And we didn't have time today to dig much into the congressional stuff. I know we have additional programming coming up, Peter, about congressional investigations and some of the pressures that are ongoing there. Any preview you want to give our listeners? Sure. So this Tuesday on April 7th, we will be hosting a webinar, both myself and my colleague, Charlie Moskowitz, who works at the Signal Group, where we will be giving a rundown on congressional investigations and COVID-19, both under pre-existing congressional authorities, but also previewing what is to come after enactment of the $2 trillion CARES Act. The legislation there established some oversight bodies In addition to that, the breaking news that seems to come every day, the announcement by the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, about the establishment of a select committee to deal with the federal response to the coronavirus. And she has tapped Jim Clyburn to head that bipartisan committee. So we'll be talking about all all of that and what you should know about both congressional oversight powers, what to expect and how to prepare. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to join us, Peter, and I look forward to the uh, webinar soon.